Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Welcome, felons, friends, and freedom lovers. Thanks for choosing once again to direct your ears to another episode of Felony Friday here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Now, if you just stumbled across Lions of Liberty, you're stumbling through your iPhone, looking through iTunes, um, I want you to know that we actually have three podcasts per week here on Lions of Liberty. And what you're listening to right now is Felony Friday, and Felony Friday is published every single Friday. Now, today I'll be interviewing a guest who is very passionate about a very controversial topic. My guest today works for a conservative organization that questions the use of the death penalty. Now, I'll introduce my guest in just a minute. First, I wanted to direct you guys and let you know where you can find the show notes for today's show. And this is the 28th episode of Felony Friday. So you know that means you can find the show notes with links to everything that we're going to talk about at lionsofliberty.com FF28. My guest today is Mark Hyden. Mark is the National Advocacy Coordinator with Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty. Prior to joining CCADP, he served as a campaign field representative in Florida for the National Rifle Association. Mark also has experience working as a campaign manager for a congressional race, a Republican congressional race in North Carolina. Prior to that, Mark also served as a legislative liaison and public affairs specialist with the Georgia Emergency Management Agency. Mark, it's wonderful to have you here on Felony Friday. John, thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to uh, share and talk about this important topic, the death penalty. We really haven't talked about it enough here on Felony Friday, to be quite frank with you. Personally, to me, the death penalty, I've definitely evolved in my views over the years. I know prior to becoming a libertarian, I, I consider myself a libertarian today. I was a conservative. I was a, a card-carrying Republican, and I used to be heavily in favor, 100% of the time, in favor of the death penalty. And over the years, over the past couple of years, I get more and more staunchly against it. And I do want to talk about the death penalty and talk about your views and how you got involved in that. But before we start going down that road, I just want to know, you've worked for the NRA. You have a little bit of a background working with legislation. I was wondering how you became involved, how you became interested in politics. Well, ever since I was a kid, I was interested in politics. I was following polls, seeing who might be elected. And I grew up in a very conservative household, which oftentimes voted, uh, well, I can't think of a time they didn't vote for a Republican. So it was very Southern, very Christian, very conservative household. And that's probably what first got me interested in politics. But I went to Georgia State University and I majored in philosophy. So we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, uh, political philosophy and different theories. And that started to open my mind. I started to be more critical of some of my own views. And I think that's probably helped me to turn against the death penalty. But it was after college that, you know, I by chance kind of uh, met a a legislator and I got offered a a job to work in the legislature here in Georgia. And it was from there that I really got into politics. And ever since, I've just never looked back. So you've worked for the NRA, like I said before, and you worked for the Georgia Emergency Management Agency. You worked as a campaign manager. 
First of all, how did you find conservatives concerned about the death penalty and how did you link up with them? And let's, I guess, answer that question first. Yeah, well, I mean, I got into uh, just politics as in general and I, I loved it so much because, you know, you look across the world, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you see all of these issues. And for some reason, it's so hard to come to pragmatic solutions. And, you know, I think that there's something beautiful in that I'm trying to make a better world. And, you know, I'm a very small person. You know, I may not be able to influence major things as much as I'd like to, but that's why I love this work. And, you know, I was working trying to safeguard the Second Amendment in Florida when I was working for the National Rifle Association. And it was then that I, I came across this job posting looking for a conservative who was against the death penalty. And it was then that that, that light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, geez, there must be other conservatives out there just like me who think this is a big, broken government program. So I applied for and uh, thankfully I was hired and I've been doing this work for uh, several years now. So thinking back, you know, you're mentioning, you know, having this internal dialogue with yourself, you know, there's got to be other conservatives out there that hold, you know, these same views that I hold dearly, but also think the death penalty, at the very least, I don't know if you're fully against the death penalty, but at the very least has some some fatal flaws in it. Was there anything that triggered that for you? <laughs> Is there any uh, one moment that sticks out? Yeah, fatal flaws would be um, an understatement, to be quite honest, when it comes to the death penalty. But the first time I can remember discussing it was, interestingly, I was. it's strange how you remember these moments from early in your life. I was in elementary school on the playground the first time I can remember talking about the death penalty, and I remember saying that I supported it because my family were Christian Republicans, and I thought that's what we did. But it was at that moment, and it's just so strange that I remember it so clearly today, is uh, I am a Christian. I'm very proud of that. But it was at that moment I thought, well, what happens to the executioner's soul? Does that make the Lord happy? So that was the first seeds of doubt that were sown in me. And you know, for several years, you know, on into uh, in adulthood, I still supported the death penalty almost with zeal. And I thought that's what conservatives who support limited government were supposed to believe in. But eventually, I started looking at the different studies. I saw that the death penalty cost millions more dollars than life without parole. I saw that innocent people were being sentenced to death, and that's hard to grapple with if you're pro-life. And then I found that it doesn't even deter crime. So eventually, I figured that, that it just doesn't square with my principles of supporting pro-life policies, fiscal responsibility, and limited government. This is the same state that we don't trust to launch a healthcare website or fill potholes. So why should we trust them with a program that meets out death? Yeah, that's very true. And I think it really comes down to a lot of conservatives, maybe a lot of uh, libertarian leaning type people. Maybe they're not looking at it uh, just from that logical perspective as the perspective, you know, the government will pay $500 for a hammer. Of course, they're going to screw up. How can you <laughs> trust them with, you know, executing the right person looking at it that way? And the media does love to, I think, lump people together and they, you know, just listening to the media, listening to the cable news shows, you, you get the idea that all conservatives are for the death penalty. It's kind of just the, the segment that they're in. The liberals are all against it. But really, it's more nuanced than that, I think. And I think there's some from each side that are probably against it. Maybe there's some liberals that are for it. I don't know. But I think where I'm going with this is I'm kind of curious where this organization, Conservatives Concerned About the Death Penalty, how this organization was founded, kind of the genesis of it, and how that all started. 
Well, we actually grew out of a state organization in Montana when uh, several conservative legislators and conservative uh, activists came together and they had a discussion and they all realized that they were all against the death penalty because they didn't trust the government with this kind of power and they thought it violated their pro-life beliefs. So they formed conservatives concerned about the death penalty, a Montana group. And it filled a void that was there because conservatives didn't have their own group to voice their concerns. They didn't have a group where they could have a forum to even have these discussions. So it brought a, a lot of conservatives from the grassroots and raised them up. And I think the some of the progress that they made in Montana is what prompted a call to have a national group. So in 2013, we launched at CPAC. And I can tell you, because uh, I was there uh, when we launched it, I can tell you firsthand that I was a little nervous. These are my uh, comrades. These are my fellow conservatives. And I was a little worried about how I was going to be uh, received by them. And it was amazing. So many people came up to us saying uh, that they thought that they were the only conservative who opposed the death penalty. But clearly they're not because we work with people like Michael Steele, who used to head up the RNC, Colonel Oliver North, Dr. Ron Paul, Richard Vigory, Jay Sekulow, and many others. So we're ending that myth that's out there that uh, all conservatives support the death penalty because we know that that's patently false. Well, you, you already answered my next question. I'm just going to ask you for some prominent politicians who are against the death penalty. So you, you, well, you answered that in your answer. That was wonderful. Well, thank you. But, you know, there's a, a large libertarian contingent out there, too, that's been joining arms with conservatives like me. Austin Peterson uh, from the Libertarian Republic, very against the death penalty. He was been very outspoken against it. Julie Borowski, an award-winning political vlogger, has been outspoken as well, and Dr. Ron Paul. So there's a large libertarian contingent small L libertarian, as well as uh, conservatives as well, coming together because this is a program so bad that I think that most uh, sides of the, um, whatever uh, side of the aisle that you're on, I think we can all agree that this is, it's not operating properly. And that includes even the left. I'm happy to prove that the American political system is not irrevocably broken. And I do that by working with uh, broader coalitions, including liberals and libertarians. That's great. That's great. So what are some reasons – I mean we're talking about the amount of conservatives out there, amount of libertarians who are against the death penalty, and people come at it from different angles. What are some reasons that you see why people are attracted to CCATDP? That's a tough acronym to say. It's a little bit long. It is. You know. It is. Uh, you know, this <laughs> – uh, sorry, I can't fix that one at this point. <laughs> uh, but it depends on the individual. You know, some people are drawn to the work we're doing because they see this as a wasteful government program that is hemorrhaging taxpayer dollars. I mean, you can see here in Georgia, where I live, there was a county that ran out of money to, when they were trying to execute someone. So the county commission raised taxes multiple times, and eventually they went before the judge and they said, "We're not going to do this anymore." And the judge threw the county commission in jail until they approved appropriate. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that's happened across the United States, and it attracts a lot of fiscal conservatives. But it also attracts people who um, have some sort of pro-life views, whether it's pro-life from conception to natural death or we're just talking about potentially innocent lives. It brings a lot of others together. But then you have people like me where it was kind of – a culmination of all of the evidence because for me, you know, I'm kind of ashamed to say that I struggled with it and I wanted to find a way to support the death penalty. But once I looked at all of the evidence, I couldn't find a single thing to support the death penalty. Once I saw what it does, it risks innocent life. It costs more than life without parole. It fails to deter crime and it even harms murder victims, friends, and family members, the very people that this program is supposed to serve. 
So the first aspect of that you talked about, the fiscal aspect, it's something that I know I have a question about. I'm sure many others do as well. How can it be more expensive to kill someone with a death penalty than to keep them in prison for a lifetime? (laughs) The short answer is leave it to the government to figure that one out. But to be honest, there's uh, what's called super due process when it comes to the death penalty because the government, you know, I I believe they have the best intentions when it comes to this. They don't want to, or government officials by and large, I hope, don't want to see innocent people executed. So there's a lot of extra safeguards that are involved. So what you have is the initial trial is actually where usually the most cost is uh, involved because it's many times longer than life without parole trials. Then there's the an additional trial that exists just to see if the offender can receive a death sentence, and that's not in life without parole proceedings. Then there's an appeals process that's much more complex and lengthy than any other in the criminal justice system. And all the while, these individuals are housed on death row. And according to a recent study, that's at least twice as expensive as housing in a maximum security prison where people spending life without parole spend the majority of their time. So it's it's more costly on every single level because, in part, they don't want to execute innocent people. But time and time again, they prove that they still mess it up. These safeguards simply just don't work properly. Yeah, we had uh, on Felony Friday several weeks ago now, we had Aaron Murphy, who is a uh, expert in DNA, um, typing DNA for forensic uh, analysis. And it was just amazing, really, what she was talking through the use of DNA, the use of forensic DNA, and just how air prone it is, how it can be transferred from one person to another, how someone can be taken actually in an ambulance if that ambulance later in that same night is taken to another crime scene, DNA can be transferred some from that first person who was transferred in an ambulance to the next person. And technically, that DNA could be used against someone in, in the court of law. Um, so it's not hard to imagine how somebody can be tied up and wrapped up in a, in a story and charged with a crime that they absolutely had nothing to do with. I think a lot of people think, you know, it's hard for them to imagine just ending up in a situation where they'll be facing death and they are innocent. But I think it's a lot more feasible than, than people really give it credit for. John, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right. And it's kind of scary because a lot of people think we live in this CSI universe. That's just not the real world, those television shows. I mean, DNA is only available in up to 10% of all criminal cases. And as you just pointed out, I know exactly what case you're talking about. Just because DNA is there, that doesn't necessarily implicate you in the crime. That just means that at some point you may have been in the vicinity or your DNA may have been spread there by some other means. But when it comes to other kinds of forensic analyses, we found that time and time again, many prosecutors have relied on bogus uh, analyses, so bite mark analysis or hair analysis. Those are uh, largely unreliable and non-scientific, but they've been used to convict people for many years and not so much anymore. But many people who were found to be wrongly convicted found themselves on death row because of this pseudoscience that was completely unreliable. It's a scary thing, really. And it's it's only added to one of the reasons why I'm against the death penalty. I consider myself, like Austin Peterson, to be pro-life um, and pro-life across the board. So I'm against the death penalty across the board. I'm against abortion as soon as there's a heartbeat. But I wanted to shift gears just for a moment here. And I want to talk about a recent article that you wrote for Voices of Liberty. And as we were talking about in the pre-show chat, Lines of Liberty also 
does have a uh, we do post some things over at Voices of Liberty. So we do support their site. There's some great stuff over there. So I highly encourage our listeners to check out Voices of Liberty. But the article that you wrote is titled Grand Jury Highlights Rampant Death Penalty Malfeasance. And this article talks about a situation in Oklahoma and I'll just kind of talk about it on a high level and you can go into more detail with it because it's your article after all. But what it talked about, there was an error with the chemicals they were using for executing someone and they executed this individual, Charles Warner. And I think you wrote in the article, his last words were, my body is on fire and it was all because they were using the wrong chemicals to execute them. So could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I've described uh, it as a comedy of errors, but there's simply nothing funny about government incompetence, and that's exactly what we have. So there are approved drugs that can be used for executions, and that has to be approved by the legislature. And it's a three-drug combination that they use in Oklahoma. However, when they ordered the drugs, the pharmacist gave them the wrong drug. He said that he didn't look at the type of sodium or the sodium levels in the drug, which when it comes to chemistry, that's actually pretty important, and he should have looked at that. So what he actually gave the state was not a death penalty drug. He gave him the chemical that they use to de-ice airport runways. Clearly, that's much different than what the state actually ordered. So the Oklahoma official, the agent who transported the drug from the pharmacist, didn't bother to look, didn't bother checking to see if the name matched what they were ordering. Then they improperly um, logged all of the info to where they they inventoried it improperly, so they didn't they missed another chance to catch the mistake. So then when they tried or they did execute Charles Warner, the IV team didn't notice the mistake. The doctor didn't notice the mistake. Now, obviously, it seemed like something wasn't going correctly when he rose up or tried to rise up and scream that his body uh, felt like it was on fire. So they eventually did an autopsy, and they noticed that something obviously was wrong when the wrong chemical was found in there. But then you fast forward a little bit, and they were trying to execute a man by the name of Richard Glossop. This is a man that's actually on death row despite a complete lack of any physical evidence. And it's very scary to me that you can uh, find yourself on death row with a lack of, of any evidence anyway. But as they're preparing to execute him, thankfully, someone noticed. The doctor noticed that it was the wrong chemical. So they tried to stop the execution. But what happened next, I find appalling. The governor's general counsel said, no, let's move forward with the execution anyway. The drugs are close enough. Google it. So seriously, we're looking at Oklahoma. They're trying to use Google to define their execution protocols. But thankfully, reason prevailed, and the attorney general's office halted the execution or at least threatened to do it before the, the governor stepped in. So this is the problem that they're facing in Oklahoma. I think clearly they've proven that they can't be trusted with the death penalty because of this episode that played out. But when you look at the rest of their system, it's pretty bad. They've wrongly convicted 10 people and sentenced them to die. It's a, a state that uses the death quite frequently, but you know, I, I think anyone that looks at the evidence can see that they shouldn't be trusted with it. It's just a really, a, just like you said, a comedy of errors, but yeah, there's absolutely nothing funny about it, but it's believable. I mean, it's not hard to believe the government screwing something up as important as someone's life is at stake here and they can't even get the proper drugs or care enough to do an investigation to find out that they had the improper chemicals in the first place. Really just a disgusting situation. I wanted to uh, ask you another question about CCADP, and I just wanted to find out, you know, what types of things that your organization is doing right now 
to either initiate some change maybe through legislation or just to influence opinions about the death penalty? Well, we're mainly educational in nature, although we do much more than that. We were involved in Nebraska when they repealed the death penalty, and they they were the first red state to uh, ditch the death penalty in over 40 years. That shows how much the world is changing, at least in, in the conservative world. And Utah almost repealed the death penalty also this year. They just ran out of time after it passed through the Senate. The House didn't have time, I guess, to, uh, to consider it. So we work in a lot of states to educate individuals on what the death penalty does in practice, not what it does in theory, because I believe a lot of people, John, and I believe that you would understand this, a lot of people say that they, they feel that some people absolutely just deserve to die. However, they just simply do not trust the government with this kind of power. So we have to educate people on what the death penalty actually does, not what it does in theory. So we do that. We engage the media like we're doing right now. Uh, and we go to different conventions and conferences to talk to our fellow conservatives about the death penalty. And we're raising up voices in, in many different states. We're seeing local conservatives concerned about the death penalty groups raising up in different states like North Carolina and Kentucky where they're, they're taking the lead and trying to get rid of the death penalty. And it's being led by a conservative group. And I, I, that really warms my heart. Yeah, that's great progress. And that is great to hear. I wanted to uh, get some, you know, see if you could share some data on the death penalty. So how many states right now have the death penalty in them? That's actually a nuanced answer, uh, to be quite honest. Um, so Nebraska was the last one to repeal it. So it brought it down to 31 states, but it's technically been brought back because of the governor's uh, work and he donated a lot of money to try to bring it back. So it halted the repeal. But what that actually does is they, they're still not using the death penalty. That brings it up to a referendum. So they're kind of in this quasi yes death penalty no death penalty state but other than that there's 31 that that still have it on the books however very very few states actually execute people i think it was nine states or maybe less that actually used it last year do you know which states or just maybe it's an example of a state that used the death penalty last oh, year? Oh, last year. So Missouri executed quite a few people, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, Georgia, and Ohio and Arizona, the states that uh, come into my mind. I guess th those would be the most important states to be active in. Right? Yeah, and I live right here in Georgia, and it's changing. So we executed a record number of people last year, but that doesn't tell the full story because we didn't sentence a single person to death at all last year, and so far we haven't this year either. So the death penalty, whereas you know we are executing people, unfortunately, it's actually dying because the death penalty is dying because we're not sentencing many people to death. So just over time, naturally, there's not going to be people replacing the ones who, I mean, as sad as it is to say, people are going to continue to die, but you're not going to have another wave of people come on to death row in Georgia. Well, unless we can repeal it before then. And and really, if you look at who we did execute, we, like I was a part of this, but what, that Georgia executed, one person had been on death row for over 36 years. Clearly, there's no penological purpose for executing him. We executed a person with low IQ who may have qualified for what the Supreme Court calls mental retardation in an intellectual disability, or at least borderline. Another one was a woman who became a born-again Christian on death row and ministered to her fellow death row inmates and actually saved one from committing suicide. So there's no real purpose for executing a woman like that. And another person had PTSD and clearly had, had some issues that needed to be worked out. So we're, we're not executing the worst of the worst. We're executing some people that have uh, some who have found redemption, others who, who have some serious problems, and likely death row was not the best place for them. 
it's not surprising. You just mentioned individual being executed with a mental handicap, mental disabilities. And it seems, you know, the more and more I, I do this show, I do this podcast. And before the show, I, I wrote a lot about these same things and in a uh, column under the same title, Felony Friday. And it's just amazing how the criminal justice system overall just abuses people with any sort of intellectual disabilities. And just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a story on Felony Friday where someone has spent 36 years in solitary confinement. And it's just it blows my mind that someone can be executed who's not all there, who has mental problems. It's weird to think about it that I think that the way people are thinking about the death penalty who are in favor of it, whether they realize it or not, they have to be thinking of it in a way that the world is a better place without this person alive. I mean, this is a person that needs help, but rather than try to help them in some way, you'd rather just put them to death, which is just, it blows my mind. It does. And and Georgia, we have this weird statute to where you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you have a mental disability. I'm not sure exactly if you do have a disability of that sort. I don't know how you prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you have it. So hopefully the legislature will address that at some point. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty difficult thing (laughs) to prove. Uh, Just a couple more questions for you, Mark. I'm not sure if you'll be able to answer this one, but I was reading about a a study that's being done here in Pennsylvania. I think it's been going on for like the past 10 years and it's been delayed three years. One of the things to research, and I think it's being commissioned by Penn State University, my alma mater, but they tend to do things a little more slowly, I guess, at the uh, academic, at the higher education levels. So that's why it's taking longer. But I think one of the things they're researching are if there's any trends, any racial bias in the death penalty. Now, has your organization seen any studies like that that would point to a racial bias? Oh, absolutely. And there's no shortage of studies that point out to that. And really what you can see when it comes to the offender or alleged offender, if they're a person who is of low economic means, things usually don't turn out well for them. Now, if you conversely look at the race of the victim, the race and sex of the victim, if it's a white female, there's a much higher likelihood that the alleged killer of that individual will receive a death penalty. However, if it is a African-American male, chances of getting the death penalty are highly, highly unlikely. Now, what that says to a lot of people and anybody that wants to pay attention to the statistics, it says that some lives are worth more than others. Now, justice is supposed to be blind, but apparently she's not colorblind, and that's highly problematic. That's problematic indeed. Problematic indeed. Just one more question for you. I just wanted, hopefully, to let my Felony Friday audience know, is there anything they can do to help out your organization, Concerned Conservatives Against the Death Penalty? Oh, there's no shortage of things they can do. It depends on what state they're in and what they're interested in doing, but I recommend that all of them contact me. Send me an email at info at org, and, and we'll chat about it. Fantastic. And that website, again, is conservativesconcerned.org. I will link to that in the show notes. Mark, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to share some knowledge about the death penalty with the Felony Friday audience. Thanks for having me on, John. It was great to talk with Mark Hyden today. I really enjoyed our conversation on the death penalty. This is an extremely important topic and an extremely important topic to me. I really want to encourage you guys to check out his organization. Concerned Conservatives Against the Death Penalty. This is an incredibly important topic, and I am grateful that CCATDP continues to work towards a world without a death penalty. Now, I did kind of want to go down a little bit of a different path here and talk about something that might surprise some of you. Anyone who knows me knows that I am not a fan of Pope Francis. However, 
recently, Pope Francis spoke on the death penalty. And I think he's right on with what he said. I mean, in my opinion, what he said really rings true. Even if you don't believe in God, I think it makes sense just looking at it from a logical perspective. Speaking of the death penalty, Pope Francis said, It does not render justice to victims, but instead fosters vengeance. The commandment, thou shall not kill, has absolute value and applies both to the innocent and to the guilty. Now, I think that's some powerful stuff from the Pope. Personally, I don't think it is ever justified to kill another human being. To value another individual's life as completely worthless. You know, actually, it's worse than that. Those who favor the death penalty are saying that the world as a whole, that the world would be a better place without this individual. They are giving off the opinion that the world gains value with the subtraction of an individual, with some subtraction of a member of society. This makes no sense to me. This is dangerous. I think it's a dangerous way to operate in a civilized society. I really hope you guys enjoyed today's discussion. I think it's an important discussion. Please remember, if you did enjoy this talk today, to share the show. Like the Lions of Liberty on Facebook and on Twitter. And please, if you haven't yet, consider joining our private Facebook group, the Lions of Liberty Forum. All you have to do is search Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, click join, and we will get you approved as quickly as we can. If you haven't subscribed to receive the show every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, do so, please, at iTunes or a Stitcher Radio, and you won't have to go worry about going out and finding the show. It'll be delivered right to your little iPhone or Android device. Also, remember that Felony Friday is only one of the features on Lions of Liberty. Like I said, we have a Monday show and a Wednesday show, so please check those out. You can contact me via email at felonyfriday at linesofliberty.com. And if you just happen to stumble upon this show, please make sure to make your way over to the Felony Friday archive, where you can listen to every single previous episode of Felony Friday. As always, everyone, thank you so much for listening today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>